You guys, welcome to episode 96 of Les Smoosh. <laughs> Remember that? The podcast that deep dives on the well-known and more importantly, not so well-known hookups of your favorite reality TV stars. It's me, Rosie O'Donnell. Um... First of all, if you remember that Les Smoosh reference, that means that you, like, are old school, and I love you. Um, so, I'm almost tempted to not even, like, greet you and just jump right into this episode because it's so dense. Uh, it's one of the most dense episodes I think I've ever recorded. Um, I know I always, like, talk some... I'm, I'm like, I'm my resolution, even though it's not New Year's, is to stop telling you how many notes I take, because it's like, get the fuck over yourself. Like, at this point, that's the gig. Um, but, like, really, I there was just so much information to take down with this couple, and I already know, like, that thing has sparked in me, and it's triggered me, and I'm gonna end up doing, like, a, a bunch of episodes about these people, specifically about the girl that we're talking about today. And I want to give a shout out to, uh, on Instagram, uh, Mariah Gibson, uh, messaged me and suggested this couple. Well, she suggested Kate and somebody else who I want to do next week, I think. Um, but today we're going to be talking about Kate Moss and Johnny Depp. You know, with me being the completionist and the journalist that I am, I figured why not start uh, where it really counts and then work ourselves up to the true, true train wreck that is Kate Moss and Pete. Um, this was a lot. I'm going to be honest with you. This was a lot in the sense that it just took me on this really intense emotional journey. And I am now on the other side feeling completely different about Kate Moss. I, I thought that I knew Kate Moss. I thought that I had an idea of who Kate Moss was. I thought that I was able to piece together who Kate Moss was based on what I know of her. And I'm now on the other side and I'm completely, I've gone clear just so you know, and I am bait and free. Um, and I'm really excited and eager to uh, get you guys over to the other side and get you full, get those thetans off your back. Because I'm telling you, it feels good over here. I am, I'm, I'm, me and Kate Moss, I, I feel so connected to her right now. I, it's, I can't even put it into words. Like, I get her now. And I'm going to explain. I know that you guys think you get her too, because you think that you think that you get her the way that I thought I got her before I did any research. But now I really get her and so will you. So I just want to get right into it. And before I start, I do want to say um, I've gotten some really, really awesome and funny and uh, informative and uh, and groundbreaking uh, voice notes and emails from you guys. Uh, I would love more. I've gotten a lot and they've been really great and funny, but I'd love some more. So send them away to smushroompod at gmail.com. I am eager to hear couples that you guys want to hear about. I'm eager to hear couples that you're sick of, people that you're sick of hearing me talk about. I'm eager to hear uh, episodes that have impacted you or had some sort of impact on your life or, uh, you know, just anything, whatever. It doesn't matter. Um, people that you came out hating, thinking that you liked, whatever it is. I don't care, but I just want to hear it. Um. So Johnny Depp and Kate Moss started dating in March of 1994. They separated in spring of 1998. And Johnny and Kate are known as one of the most iconic and obviously influential couples of the 90s. 
Um, so much so that the internet still has this really weird fascination. I would call it a sick obsession with them to this day, to be honest with you. Um, you know, defi- despite the fact that Johnny is like this abuser. I mean, Johnny Depp is somebody who's, whose magnetism is so intense and so strong that he has been given so many opportunities and so many uh, second chances throughout the years to, I don't know, sweep everything under the rug and just pretend that it's not happening. Um, And from what I've read about Kate Moss's life from, you know, a majority of the time that she's spent in the public eye, she's been extremely lonely and lost. And she sort of jumped from relationship to relationship, looking for somebody to protect her and take care of her and sort of guide her, um, give her some sort of sense of normalcy. And based on what I know about Johnny Depp, he's somebody who really enjoys being another person's anchor and the reason to exist for somebody, which is a true match made in hell. Um, And this is also a couple that was known for, you know, heated arguments in public and trashing hotel rooms and these sort of drug-fueled overindulgences of abundance. Um, They were gorgeous and wealthy and young and, you know, being cited as, you know, the faces of a generation. And they they knew it. They were very aware of it. Um, But that sort of plays into my perception of Kate Moss before doing this and like who she actually is, which we will get into. Um, if you are a Smush Room completionist, then you probably know that I have done a Johnny Depp episode before. Uh, about a year ago, I recorded an episode with my friend Christina Laske, uh, on Johnny Depp and Winona Ryder. And, um, you know, I'm basically going to be picking up around that time. He broke up with Winona Ryder. Um, yeah, he broke up with Winona Ryder right before he started dating Kate. So it's kind of perfect. And as I always say, you know, I would definitely suggest you go back and listen. I think that's the only episode of this podcast where I truly recorded drunk. I truly was drunk. I was gone. I was, I was, um, I was like gone. Like I can't even, I don't even know if I've ever listened to that episode back fully because I'm a gross slime fuck. Um, but I was drunk. Anyway, I would suggest going back and listening to that because we did a lot of a lot of groundbreaking work on Johnny Depp and Winona Ryder. So, of course, ladies first, we're going to be talking about Kate Moss first. Um, I'm so excited. I'm, I've, I've not been this excited in, in a really long time to give you guys the information that I found because it's it's just been so informative for me. And I'm I've been like living in it for a day and i'm just like i don't know whatever i'm gonna stop rambling so kate moss as far as her childhood goes it was pretty normal from what i gather she grew up in croydon london and her parents were working class uh she describes herself as being the kind of kid who grew up being driven around in a family car that didn't have air conditioning or working windows in the summer Her father was a UK travel agent and her mom was a housewife who would occasionally work as a bartender to kind of help make ends meet. Uh, Kate was very famously discovered at 14 while walking through the JFK airport uh, by Sarah Dukas. She's the founder of the British modeling agency Storm. She was on her way home from the Bahamas and according to her, Kate was feeling her Gia Gun oats because she had lost her virginity on vacation. So she was feeling like a true woman. Um, 
Kate told Love Magazine in 2018, I was smoking cigarettes, I was 14, and I had just lost my virginity, so I thought I was the bee's knees. I was in the airport puffing away, uh, I got on the plane, and then Sarah Dukas, Sarah Dukas's brother came up to me and said, have you ever thought about being a model? And at this particular point in her life, being a model was possibly the furthest thing from anything Kate saw for herself. Uh, she was shy, she was very short. She was thin, and she was extremely insecure about so many things, but specifically about her height and her teeth and her legs, uh, which is something that she has basically gone her entire life hating. Um, and at the very beginning phase of her career, Kate was turned down by fashion editors because she was considered to be too short, of course, and um, she was the literal opposite of everything that was happening in fashion at that particular moment. You've got to understand... Girls, this was the late 80s. So we're talking like curvy, glamazon, Amazonian fucking supermodel era. This is like peak supermodel era. Linda Evangelista, Cindy Crawford, like Naomi, um, Stephanie Seymour, Chrissy Turlington, Claudia Schiffer, etc., etc. You know the rest. Um, and the turning point came in July of 1990. A 15-year-old Kate Moss shot a handful of these really grungy, sepia-toned images styled by Melanie Ward and shot by Corinne Day for Face Magazine. Um, Face Magazine at the time was known as, like, the fashion bible in the UK, and Corinne Day um, plays a massive, massive role in Kate Moss's life. She's basically the reason that Kate Moss has a career. And in these photos, she can be seen smoking cigarettes and, like, running on the beach. And in some of the photos, she's topless. They're really salacious for a 16- or 15-year-old girl. Um, she told Vanity Fair, I see a 16-year-old girl now, and to ask her what... And to ask her to take her clothes off would feel really weird. But they were like, if you don't do it, then we're not going to book you again. So I would lock myself in the toilet and cry and then come out and do it. I never felt very comfortable about it. There's a lot of boobs, and I hated my boobs because I was flat-chested, and I had a big mole on one of them. That picture of me running down the beach, I'll never forget doing that because I made my hairdresser, who was the only man on the set that day, turn his back. Um, in that quote, Kate says that she was 16, but she was actually 15. Yes, I know more about Kate Moss's life than she does. Get over it. Um... And this leads me to a point that I'm going to annoy you with by the end of this podcast because I truly have had an aha moment while doing research. Kate Moss is a woman, much like Gwyneth Paltrow, that the world seems to have been projecting thoughts and ideas onto since she was a little girl. Since she was too young to really even realize what any of those thoughts and ideas really meant. Um, she was sexualized and made to feel like an object at a really young age, and she was rewarded in these unimaginable ways, and it makes me sympathize with her in a way that I truly did not expect uh, to, f I mean, to feel. I, like, And it just, this pattern continues throughout her entire life to the point that, you know, during the peak, I don't want to ruin anything, but like during the peak of Kate Moss's sort of modeling career as an adult, she had no idea why she was a model or why people liked her or she she's never really had any any sort of real confidence about herself because her 
image and her sexuality has been projected onto her. And she's never really been able to grasp any of it. Like, it, it's a weird thing. And I'll we'll get deeper into it. I don't want to jump too far ahead. So she worked her first show in uh, summer of 1990 uh, for John Galliano, who fell in love with her. He called her his rough little diamond. And uh, she came to fittings in these, like, beat-up combat boots and, you know, thrift store clothes. She had really stringy, like, unmanaged hair. Uh, she actually describes herself at this time as feral, which I'm obsessed with. And uh, John also said in a New York Post interview that he remembered seeing her surrounded by uh, these world-famous warrior models plated in Versace and Chanel. And uh, they made it quite clear that they did not think that she belonged. Um I mean, you can imagine, like, a four-foot-tall Kate Moss at 15 standing next to Naomi Campbell, who's, like, eight feet taller than her. The looks that this girl was probably getting. Can you imagine? Um, what I'm picturing is uh, the dressing room for showgirls. You know what I mean? I'm picturing a lot of just actual hisses. <laughs> Like, cattiness in its literal form, where the women are actually hissing and giving, like, claw hands. That's what I picture. Full-on showgirls. Um, after the show, she went to an after-party by herself, and she got super drunk. Uh, she drank so much whiskey that she ended up missing her flight home. And in a New York Post article about that period in her life, it said, She was hungover and disoriented and intimidated, and she loved it. Her entry into the into this new world, however, however long it was meant to last, had already meant a higher class of party with a higher class of people. Kate was no longer interested in hanging out at the low ceiling low low ceiling local pubs, knocking back swarmy lethal concoctions of cider and lager. Soon, she'd be training her palate at the Hemingway Bar at the Ritz in Paris, where she began drinking fizzy cocktails made of gin and champagne. This was followed up by another photo shoot for The Face, uh, this time for a Levi's campaign called Levi's for Girls, uh, which was also shot by Corinne Day. And these photos basically spread like wildfire and essentially helped sort of usher in what was to be the new look in fashion for the remainder of the decade, heroin chic. This photo shoot, Levi's for Girls, is cited by many people as the definitive entry to heroin chic um in 2012 kate told vanity fair i think corinne she wasn't on heroin but she always loved that lou reed song the whole glamorizing the squat white and black and sparse and thin and girls with dark eyes she loved that look i was thin but that's because i was doing shows working really hard at that time, I was staying at a and b in Milan, and you'd get home from work, and there was no food. you get to work in the morning, and there was no food. Nobody took care of you or took you out to lunch when I started. Carla Bruni took me out for lunch once. She was really nice. Otherwise, you just didn't get fed. But I was never anorexic. They knew it wasn't true. Otherwise, I wouldn't have been able to work. Um, Corinne also... She was also known for being really tough on Kate during this time. Um, she told the New York Post, Corinne would make me cry, but that was her point. Corinne would say, the more pissed off I get you, the better pictures I get. Kate went on to do a third photo shoot for the same publication because these were these pictures were making headlines and becoming such a big deal um, that they kept kind of doing them back to back. 
Um, and this one really helped, uh, you know, really helped her career take off. Um, not in the massive way that it would in the next couple years, but it was the thing that kind of got her noticed by really important people. And, um, these three back-to-back photo shoots were also the reason that Kate became known as the anti-supermodel. That was her title in the 90s. She was the fashion industry's answer to what was next. You know, she was sort of like um, the complete opposite of what everybody was accustomed to. And, you know, I'm, I'm 31, and, you know, I was a kid during this time, a literal toddler, And so my perception of Kate Moss in the 90s is like, everybody wanted to be her and everybody wanted to be with her. And what I've learned is that people were super, um, it was, she was very polarizing. She was a polarizing figure and people were really put off by her weight and, uh, you know, the industry sort of using her to promote drug use and all these things that I was kind of too young to pick up on the nuances of. But again, we'll get into it. So in the early 90s, some of Kate's photos were seen by this guy named uh, Fabian Barron, and he was the creative director for uh, of advertising for Calvin Klein. And Fabian ended up giving Kate an eight-year contract with Calvin Klein. And what came next was like the most influential campaign in fashion history, one of, um, in pop culture and American history, um, with Kate Moss in a 90s bad boy Marky Mark. You know, this was the campaign that helped save a sort of floundering Calvin Klein and reintroduced the brand to a new generation. Um, Calvin told uh, Grazia Magazine, he was interviewed by Mark Jacobs. At that time, the girls were building up their tits and doing things to their bodies that were really awful. So I thought, it's time for a whole different look. I remember talking to Patrick Demolaker, who I was working with a bit then, I said to Patrick that I, I, that I liked a particular French actress, a tiny wafy thing. So I was thinking about her, but then one day Kate walked into Patrick's studio and he said, I think I found what you're looking for. So he sent her over and that opened the door for me to do a whole different type of girl instead of the really built ones. He also told New York Post, for me, Kate's body represented closing the door on the excessiveness of the 80s. So many women models would come to me uh, where they've distorted their bodies with implants in their breasts, changing their hips, changing their knees. I mean, you just can't imagine what models were doing to themselves and what women have been doing to themselves for years. I think something changed dramatically in the 90s, and I was looking for someone who could represent something that was more natural. And it was explained to Kate that she would need to be topless, um, not just for the photo shoot, but for the now infamous television commercial. Um, at the time, she was 17, and she was paired with Mark Wahlberg, who at the time was just sort of known as this, like, wannabe rapper with a really famous brother. And both Kate and Mark have been really open about the fact that they did not get along, and they still kind of hate each other. Um, she basically told the New York, uh, she told New York Post that she basically remembered seeing him, like, tugging at his crotch the whole day, and just being really, like, gross and, like, brute, um, she also said that she remembered, um, so this guy, Glenn O'Brien, had written, like, a script for them, for the commercial, 
And she watched Mark Wahlberg, you know, go through the script and mark all the shit off that he wouldn't say, that he refused to say because it was, you know, not on brand for him to say something like that. Which, by the way, this guy's like barely famous at this point. Like nobody really knew Marky Mark yet. Um, Mark or Glenn O'Brien described his accent as white South Boston Ebonics, which I'm living for. And uh, he rewrote the script to match his white South Boston Ebonics. These pictures are iconic. Like, I don't need to explain to you what they are, what they look like, because you've seen them. If you were raised in civilization, you know what these photos look like. They are a massive part of American history, you know, not only because of the fashion element, but just what they represented for that time period. Um, Kate gave a quote saying, at the time, Mark was such a dickhead, he wasn't very nice. And Mark said... Kate was okay. I wasn't into the whole waif thing. She kind of looked like my nephew. I mean, she's beautiful. She's a very pretty nephew, but I'm into more curvy women. I love when men, men like Mark Wahlberg feel like him not validating her body is like, like she's Kate Moss. Like, thank you for fear and thank you for entourage and all the things that you've given us. Thank you so much for Boogie Nights. I'll never be able to repay you. But, like, you're speaking about Kate Moss. So you can call her your nephew or whatever, but, like, girl. Um, Kate also told Love Magazine, I had a nervous breakdown when I was 17 or 18 uh, when I had to go to... I, I, I had to go and work with Marky Mark and Herb Ritz. Um... It didn't feel like me at all. I felt really bad about straddling this buff guy. I didn't like it. I couldn't get out of bed for two weeks. I thought I was going to die. I went to the doctor and he said, I'll give you some Valium. And Francesca Sorrenti, thank God, said, you're not taking that. It was just anxiety. Nobody takes care of you mentally in this industry. There's a massive pressure to do what you have to do. I was really little and I was going to work with Steve Mazzeau. It was a really weird it was a really weird time for me, a stretch limo coming to pick me up from work. I didn't really like it, but it was work, so I had to do it. Um, Kate also very famously starred in Calvin's obsession campaign, which may have been an even bigger deal than what she did with Mark Wahlberg. I mean, in the photos, she's underage, and she's naked in all of them, sprawled out on a couch, face down, completely nude, rail thin. They're really jarring. They're really unsettling. It's so weird to look at these pictures now because they are, in a sense, child porn. It's fucking weird. Um, so Calvin had basically seen some photos of Kate uh, that were taken by her boyfriend and photographer, Mario Sorrenti. So he met with Mario and essentially was like, which like, when you really break this down, when you when you strip down like the whole fashion industry element of what's happening, this is like she's being pimped out kind of, right? Like he met Calvin met with her boyfriend to negotiate like taking nude photos of her. It's weird. Um he met with Mario and essentially basically told him that he was really impressed with the pictures that he had taken of her and what he was able to capture of her. And that he wanted to pay to send them uh, on an island and have him photograph her for like a weekend and film her. And whatever he filmed and photographed would end up being, um, actually it was for a 10-day period in the Virgin Islands. 
And whatever he filmed and photographed would end up being the campaign for um, obsession. And uh, they, Kate brought, you know, a really tiny, small bag of clothes that she ended up not touching because she's naked in all the pictures. Um, she's not even wearing makeup. Like, she's literally naked laying on a couch with her ass show. It's so weird. Um, at the time, Mario said... Calvin took a big risk by just sending Kate and I to this place on our own, and especially when the pictures came back and the majority of the pictures were all nude. She was naked on the couch. That was a big, big chance, and he decided to put that big billboard of Kate naked on the couch in Times Square. Can you imagine that happening today where, like, you know, Ralph Lauren decides that he wants to take a photo of a 17-year-old girl face down, ass up, nude on a couch and post it or uh, post it jesus and uh and have it go up in times square like are you fucking kidding me it's it's honestly it's wild and the irony that kate's boyfriend was in fact obsessed with her in a really really unhealthy way he would take thousands of pictures of her a day you know, and she would wake up every morning to him filming her. Like he was, he was obsessed with her. Um, he was also very controlling. You know, he would demand, you know, randomly throughout the day for her to just strip down nude wherever she was so he could take pictures of her. And, you know, she would do it because to Kate Moss, like that's, that was work. You know, for a girl who was basically told, at 15, you should be a model, even though she never believed it and didn't understand why. So then she does it, and she's got this God-given natural ability to just emote on camera and fucking make any photo of her come alive. I mean, if you... Googling pictures of Kate Moss for the past two days has been the most... I get stuck, and then I can't stop, because there's just something about Kate Moss on camera, and I get it. You know what I mean? As somebody who used to dabble in photography, I totally get it. Like, Kate Moss is so beautiful. Um, so I get it. But it's like, this is, it was like to another level. Um, but anyway, you know, for her to be this young girl who's just sort of told, like, hey, you're pretty. We're going to be a model. She has no idea why anybody wants her to be a model. She doesn't see it in herself. You know, her abilities as a model are so natural um, that I don't think she's ever really had to work hard at what she does, which may, which in turn has made her sort of feel lost in this whole thing. Like, she's the last to know everything. And that is the craziest thing that I've taken away from this, is that Kate Moss is so unaware of what it means to be Kate Moss. Like, she doesn't know, she doesn't get it, and she'll probably never get it. Um... I mean, I would consider these photos to be the official push of the first domino in Kate Moss's career. This was the first truly controversial moment for her. And at the time, the public was not used to seeing a real thin, flat-chested girl on a massive billboard in Times Square. People were like, what the fuck and who the fuck is that? Um... The pictures of her laying nude on the couch were plastered all over the subway. I mean, they became known as the pictures that were on the side of the bus. You know, she was that girl. She was Carrie Bradshaw in 1998, plastered all over every bus in New York City, 17 and naked. And it became a thing that people would 
spray paint feed me across her photos. That was like a cultural thing. Like that was a thing. You, If you saw a Kate Moss bus photo, you would spray paint feed me on it. And they all started saying feed me. Um, Calvin Klein was being accused of promoting anorexia and drug use and child pornography. The obsession commercials are now just as much, just as much of a part of pop culture as the the advertisements. What is wrong? Am I having a stroke? As the as the advertisements with Mark Wahlberg, and I actually you know went through and watched a bunch of them on YouTube because they just kept coming up when I was doing research. And I had completely forgotten about the fact that David Lynch had actually directed a couple of them starring Heather Graham. Um, They're cool. I mean, they're honestly, they're weird and they're cool. And this was a time when Calvin Klein was really leaning into being a controversial brand. You know, he would put out these weird artistic, um, like sort of irreverent commercials that didn't really make any sense, but made people like kind of uncomfortable, but they couldn't stop watching um, and Kate spent the remainder of 1993 kind of doing these controversial but culture-pushing photo shoots. You guys, I hate to cut you off, but at this point, I think you know the drill. You've got to be a Patreon member to hear the remainder of this episode. So go to patreon.com slash evpsychos. At that point, you will uh, be asked to donate. And then when you donate at this level, you'll get this podcast. You'll get the remainder of all the episodes every single week. You'll get Liz Bentley's Feathers in My Hair, which is the Teen Mom podcast. Um, you'll get me and Molly's uh, Brittany and Kevin Chaotic special. You'll get all the stuff that Molly does exclusively through Patreon. It's well worth it. And also, if you're not a member of our Facebook group, go to mollyandthepsychos.com. It'll take you straight to it. And uh, all we do all day and all night is talk about reality TV. It's super fun. So, like I said, patreon.com slash ebpsychos and mollyandthepsychos.com. the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.